Hey everybody, this is Mike Wardrop from Encounter Church Adelaide and thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. Our prayer is that through this podcast, you can have an encounter with Jesus that will change your life. And now get ready for an inspiring message from our preaching team. Can I just share a little bit about my testimony first, okay? And, um, okay, Adelaide born and bred, did not know, never grew up in church. My mum is a Christian, my dad is unsaved, still unsaved to this day, but closer than he's ever been before. He's a maths, maths to physics senior of high schools and is an atheist. He would say he's an atheist, he tells me that. And, um, but just softening up to the things of God. That's my background. And I had some friends in primary school and high school that I would say had to go to church uh, on a Sunday. And I would be the person that was mocking them. And I'm like, suck in, you need to go to church. And I get to, you know, ride my push bike and go and hang out with all my friends. So I was like, you know, Saul in the New Testament. I was persecuting the church. No, I wasn't killing anyone. Um, but here's my story in a condensed version. I was at... Uh, in year 12, I was at a friend's birthday party, and to cut a really long story short, out of boredom, we weren't Satan worshippers or anything, one of my friends said, uh, let's do a Ouija board. I've done one with my older brother. Again, to cut a long story short, numbers and letters with a glass in the middle, and uh, someone asked this question, there was a yes and a no, someone says, are you an evil spirit? You know, it's like, woo, you know, and we're just like, you know, and I'm not drunk, I haven't been drinking or anything like that. And it's just like, ah, you idiot. And long story short, it goes over to yes, and then it comes back, and then it goes over to yes. And this glass starts moving around the table on its own, right? As I'm just, this is just my story, just my testimony. Don't go do it. It's actually a cold, demonic. But yeah, and, um, and literally for the first time in my life, so I'm in year 12. I've never grown up in church. To me, Jesus just has something to do with Christmas time, and you get presents, cool. Easter time, you get chocolate. So that's cool. So, you know, in the words of DC Talk, Jesus is all right with me. And, um, but I had no interest. I didn't, you know, my mum went to church and it was the most boring thing on the planet. My name comes from Finland. It means I'm finished. I'm the only person in the room who's a finished product. But anyway, and, um, boom. when's the guy on the, when, that you need on the drums? And um, so my mum went to a Finnish Pentecostal church and the whole service was in another language, like Finnish. And I can't speak Finnish. So anyway, that was my experience growing up. Never went to church. Now for the first time in my life, right, middle school holidays in year 12, 1992, Charles Campbell Secondary School represent. And um, this, a, line up, this, this, a glass moves around. One of my friends says, Jesus Christ, what the beep, beep, beep is going on? Do you swear words? I'm just saying, but... <laughs> And the glass, without anyone touching it, right, slides across the table. And so for the first time in my life, I just remember, free, you know, leaving that party and thinking, there's something more to life than just what meets the eye. There is a very real spiritual side to, to you know, to life. To condense it, I gave my life to Jesus about uh, a month later, these just circumstances that all sort of lined up. But here's the thing, it's like, I'm just trying to work it out, like, God, how does this all sort of work? Someone at the church invites me to go to a conference, and to be honest, I didn't really want to go. She was just good looking, so I said yes. So, and I had probably only been to church just well, less than a handful of times, and uh, 
the conference was at the Wavell Showgrounds. It was called the Charismatic Convention. Like, it's not, uh, like, you know, I went to influences. That's all like, rah, rah, you know. And uh, so, and the uh, Charismatic Convention, there's about 400 teenagers sitting in the room. A, a preacher from America is preaching, right? And I'm just minding my own business. I, I, I only said yes because of this female who invited me, right? So, I'm sitting there minding my own business. This is just my story. The preacher stops preaching and says, God's spoken to me, right? It's 400. I'm just minding my own business. I'm like halfway in on there. So probably in the middle of this section over here, right? And he walks down the center aisle, stops at my row, and he says, I just feel like you need to say something and points at me. I'm not even living for God, even though I'd prayed a sinner's prayer but yet I'd walked out of church and nothing had changed in my life. So it was, you know, a bit, I was not living for God at all. He puts the microphone in my hand and as he hands me the microphone, he'd been speaking to people about how the enemy just wants to, you know, steal, kill and destroy young people's lives. And as he hands me the mic, I just think about this person I know that the enemy devil's having a field day in their life, right? I get about four words out. I've never seen this, never experienced I get about four words out. Right? The next thing I know, I'm, I'm on the floor, right, as 400 teenagers and whatever in the room, and I'm just weeping, 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 weeping. And that's the first time I'd ever had an encounter with God. As I'm crying uncontrollably with my eyes closed, it's literally like I see myself, I'm now standing at the back of a stage, and I see someone at the front of the stage preaching Jesus, like, and, and leading people to Jesus. And this individual turns around, and it's me, right? And then as few this voice say, I've called you to preach the good news to the lost, to see people get saved. And I'm just weeping on the floor. You need to understand, I hadn't been going to church, not really living for God, and it, it, there's the, the natural side of my brain is going, what on earth is, is going on? Let me say this. The power of an encounter is this. One encounter changes everything. One encounter starts it all, but ongoing encounters sustain it all. Okay? So that was in 1992, 27 years ago. And I'm here to say, I'm more passionate about Jesus today than I was 27 years ago. Because shouldn't it be that way? That we're actually growing and maturing in our faith. Not that we've figured it out. Paul says, not that I've attained all of this. Not that I've attained anything. But every year I just keep falling in love with Jesus. And, you know, I just want to keep positioning myself that I can keep encountering the things of God. Just a few weeks later, I, just, I started going to Influences Church, Paradise back then. And a pastor came around, prayed for me and said, oh, have you been filled with the Holy Spirit? I'm like, nah, what's that? He just starts praying for me. But I get baptized in the Holy Spirit. I don't even know what that is. I'm like, and it's like, what? So, and again, this is just my story. This is just my experience, right? And I just want to share that to you before we open up God's Word. Is that all right? That's where we go. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. And uh, there you go. Cool. Let me read to you a scripture. Let me put the time on here. And I'd love to pray for some people before we, we're done and, and we go. Is that all right? Do you love Jesus? Good, because I can see lights up there and nothing else. But here we go. That's right. It's just like church. I preached this morning and it's like, yeah, I've got a big semi-truck about to hit me. So here we go in pitch black. Uh, 
John chapter 4 is an amazing narrative, an amazing story where Jesus meets a woman at the well. Probably heard it. Up there it says, living water, dead giveaway. So here we go. Verse number four, he being Jesus had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar. Do we, oh, we even have it up there. Here we go. Near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because the disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans, right? Culturally, there was a bit of a clash there. This was a bit taboo. That's all right. Jesus just broke a few boundaries at times. And she said to Jesus, you are a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Verse 10, Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Come on. That's pretty good. That was so energetic in the back section. I think there's people over here in that back section. Let's all say, on the count of three, everyone say living water. One, two, three. Living water. Okay. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket. Now, actually... There's a little, can I have that? We might just put it up one level. Put it over here. That, that'd be cool. Yeah. Am I? This is a small, is that, is that going to be, can people see that? Yeah, people see that. Okay. All right, here we go. Uh, verse 11, but sir... You do not have a rope or a bucket, she said. And this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you are greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water that I give will never be thirsty again. Who's read this scripture before, this story, John chapter 4? Very famous. Uh, The water that I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again. And I won't have to come here to get water. So I want to pull out a, draw a few points out of this famous scripture and famous story. Number one, what excites me about this narrative and this story is this. The first point is this. A previous generation had dug a well and now it had become the place of encounter. Can I tell you what? excites me about a church plant, about a group of people willing to come together and take a step of faith and then feeling the water firm up under their feet is this, you're digging a well. You are digging a well. You are pioneering. In Jacob's generation, they got shovels and, you know, earth-moving equipment out to actually roll their sleeves out, do a little bit of hard work, and out of their labour, out of their hard work, it actually became a place of encounter for generations to come. 
Amen. So what I love about this and the laboring and the hard work, we bump in and bump out every single Sunday, but we're digging a well. But can I say this as well? Chances are you probably aren't in this room if it weren't for generations before you. Come on now. Let's not walk around thinking we're all that and a bag of chips when the generations before us paid a price. They dug in. They served. Let's not just be the person that's always served upon. Let's be people willing to roll up our sleeves. There is gifts and talents on your life that need to be exhausted and used for the kingdom. I don't want to die old. I want to die empty. Emptying myself out of all the gifts and talents that God has placed on my life. If He wants me to set up chairs, I'll set up chairs. And I've been doing it for years. You never mature past doing the small things, but God honours the small and will bring increase in your life. Amen? A previous generation dug a well, rolled up their sleeves. They got busy. They dug in sacrifice. They paid a price. They dug in resource. They put in finance. Can I just challenge you in an area right now? It's like, I love being the guest speaker because I can say things, drop things, and then run. If I do this on a Sunday morning in my church in Hoyts, no one turns up the following week. But I can do it here and you still love your pastors. You need to tithe into this place. You need to give into this place. Because here's the thing, here's my challenge to you. If this church, and again, it's not amount, it's attitude, come on, towards God. It's, it's, it's just, you know. Can encounter church in Adelaide thrive through what you are giving unto the Lord, whether it be finance, gifts and talents, or from the level you're is it actually going backward. Just a bit of a challenge, but there we go. Do you still love me? Hopefully, because I can't see. But here we go. They dug it in prayer. This sets up the place of encounter. Point number two, Jesus offers living Water. What, what is this living water he speaks of? In the Old Testament, living water often was associated with Jehovah, with God. And this is what it says in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. For my people have done two evil things. Right? Amazing. This is Jeremiah. Uh, God speaking to Jeremiah about an entire nation. My people have done two evil things. Number one, they have abandoned me, the fountain of living water. Wow. But number two, the second evil thing is this. They have dug for themselves crack cisterns that, can't, that can hold no water at all. Wow. This is what God has against the nation of Israel. Number one, you've turned your back on God. But number two, you're trying to do it in your own strength, dig your own cisterns, and you're digging things that cannot hold any water at all. So would you turn from self-reliance? Would you turn from pride? Would you turn from, you know, doing it your way, man's way? And would you come running back to me, the fountain of living water? Amen? Come on, who knows? We live in a city. They need to turn back to God. Charles Spurgeon uh, wrote this, amazing, and out of his book, uh, Good News for Thirsty Souls. What does a thirsty man do to get rid of his thirst? He drinks. Perhaps there is no better representation of faith in all the Word of God than that. 
To drink is to receive, to take in the refreshing draft, and that is all. A man's face may be unwashed, but yet he can drink. He may be of very unworthy character, but yet a draft of water will remove his thirst. Drinking is such a remarkably easy thing, it is even more simple than eating. Can I say this? We've all been created with thirst. But it is Jesus, our source of living water, that we need to continue. It's not about an encounter changed at all. I mean, I love hearing the testimony of, um, you know, like a word from Andy Hogarth. I know Andy up at the journey, just a great man of God. And I love that. But an encounter starts it all, but ongoing encounters sustain it all. It's not how we start the race, it's how we finish the race. Amen? We all know people that have started well, but probably aren't in the house of God, aren't living for God anymore. All people are thirsty. They want, they long, and they search. Um, when I was a teenager, I'm not proud of this story uh, and, and this fact, but I've got to be truthful and honest. When I was a teenager, a friend and I wanted to go on a holiday, so we just turned to the advertiser, and we needed a bit of part-time work to earn some money. And the first job we could find that we could start you know, fairly quickly was grape picking. So it was in the middle of winter. It was, I remember it being freezing cold. Uh, we went up to, you know, this vineyard, uh, you know, winery sort of somewhere. They give you about a 10, 15-minute little rundown. They put these uh, what's called secateurs in your hand. Uh, these are tin snips. I don't own secateurs. Don't really garden. But, uh, you know, I've got some tin. I can just trim it after the service. But similar. So they give you this. And what they would do, they would give you a bucket. So this is what would happen, this is how we were instructed, is like you were to go out into the, the vineyard and you were to, to cut off bunches of grapes, put them in the bucket. When your bucket was full, you yell out your name, okay? Actually, you'd have two buckets and, uh, and you'd yell out your name and then this little, you know, little servant guy who, you know, I guess working for the vineyard would come pick up your full buckets and drop two empty buckets and this would go on all day. So we're great picking. Andy was the friend who I was with that day. And so I'd fill my bucket, David. And he's like, Andy. So you could hear all these names getting yelled out. There's probably, you know, 40 people great picking that day. Neil, Steve, Bob, Neil, David, I got a bucket in or a couple of buckets in. You know, Andy, Rob, Neil, Joseph, Sue, Neil. And it's like every few minutes, from across, echoing across the vineyard, all we'd hear is, Neil! So I told you I'm a sporty, you know, person growing up. Right? So I'm super competitive, right? I'm a teenager, red-blooded male. I, gotta, I need to suss out who this Neil is because he's doing like double the buckets that I'm doing. And as I walk down the end of the vineyard and cut across, I'm looking for this Neil character. To my shock and horror, I'm looking at this like 65-year-old guy who I swear has been great picking since the age of a fetus. And he's like Neo in the Matrix, like this. And grapes are doing little pirouette backflips just straight into the bucket. He's like so efficient and so amazing at grape picking, right? And this is now gets to the afternoon. I turn to Andy. Our hands are freezing. It's in the middle of winter. 
And we've had enough. We've already determined we ain't coming back tomorrow. This is way harder than we thought it was. But I turned to Andy and I said, there's one thing I'm going to do before we leave. I'm taking Neil down. And so what I started doing is I put my secateurs down. New buckets would come out. And I just start shredding the vine. And I fill half the bucket with any old junk I can find. And then I would take a nice little and put a nice layer of grapes across the top. So it all looks good. It would have been the worst tasting wine of that vintage. Penfold wineries hate me from 20 years ago. But it all looked good on the surface. And they'd get it. They were just chucking these buckets up over this thing into the back of a truck. They had no idea what I was doing. But it was like, David, uh, Neil, David, David. Anyway, and so I matched it with a 65-year-old guy that day. I cheated. But here's the thing. Although it looked great on the surface, there was a whole bunch of stuff in the bucket. Come on now. That shouldn't have been there. No one knew. No one could tell when the little Penfolds winery servant came and took my buckets away and he's just tipping them up into the, you know, the back of this big truck. No one knew what was below the surface. But there was amazing looking grapes on the top layer of the bucket. Can I suggest to you it was no different from, for this Samaritan woman that day when she came to the well. It says that she approached the well with her bucket. But the truth is, it's literally like a metaphor. When she comes to the well that day, Jesus has this prophetic word and insight into her life. And, she's, and Jesus says, you know, you don't just have a husband. You've had five of them. And you're living in this broken relationship right now. And here she is coming to a well that day to get some water. But that empty bucket literally is a metaphor for the brokenness and the hurt, the the junk, the stuff in her life. It may have looked okay on the surface, but Jesus looks past the surface. Man looks on the outside and God looks at the at the heart. You couldn't tell what was in her bucket, but Jesus knows. Amen? And all it took was one encounter with Jesus to change it all. So in verse 25, the woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am that Messiah. Just then his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? They didn't have the nerve to ask. The woman, I want you to catch this. The woman, it says, left her bucket, left her watering jar, bucket beside the well, and ran back to the village telling every body. Come and see the man who told, told me everything I've ever done. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming into the village 
to sin. One encounter with Jesus, one touch and receiving the living water, not the things of this world that only satisfy temporarily or momentarily. But when I invited Jesus into my life, it's like literally like a mat truck of weight lifted off my shoulders. I found something that I didn't even realise I need because I'd never grown up in church. But it was the most real and authentic encounter experience I'd ever, I'd ever had in my whole life. She came to fetch water to get a daily top-up. But Jesus looked past the surface, looked past the exterior, looked past the persona and was able to speak life in this encounter with this woman. You know what makes this encounter so remarkable is this. Last point. The woman leaves her bucket behind. Come on now. We, we read these stories and we gloss over them. I think, yeah, that's a nice little... Ele- the very thing, the very tool, right, the, the, the very apparatus she has in collecting water, of drawing water, she even said to Jesus, you don't have anything to draw water at this well. Yet after this exchange and this encounter with Jesus, the Son of God, after receiving this living water, she is so blown away by this encounter, she leaves the very thing that she can only draw water from the well with. And it's an incredible metaphor in our lives that when we come to God with, with, with authenticity and with a genuine heart that's open to Him, we can fool the world about what we represent and what's on the surface, but God always looks past and He's looking at your heart. Come on. And it's there at this place of encounter, Jesus strips it all back. And it's like in a moment, life, joy, come on, peace is restored. This broken, this, this broken woman walking to the well is left feeling whole, feeling renewed, feeling restored. That is the power of an encounter with God. But here's the great thing. Jesus, at that very moment in time, in history, was only in one place at one time because he was physically manifest in body form, fully God, yet fully man. And when Jesus died on the cross and rose again and the Holy Spirit descended, he said, it's better that I go because I'm sending the counsellor, the helper, the Holy Spirit who can be everywhere for everyone. We are manufactured and made to have ongoing encounters with God. Amen? An encounter changes it all. I've been a Christian passionately walking for God for 27 years. And can I say this? I cannot remember even 5% of the sermons I've sat through. I can remember maybe 10% of the worship choruses I've sung or stood through. But I can remember over 90% of the encounters I've had with God. An encounter with Jesus, an encounter, fresh encounter with the Holy Spirit sustains, sets, just pours fire in our life. 
Thanks so much for listening. We'd love to hear from you. For more information and resources, please check out our website, encounteradelaide.com.au. And don't forget to leave us a rating and review on your podcast provider. Have an amazing day. God bless.